Let us rise and let us hear the call of our Heavenly Father. The call this morning comes from Psalm 113. Praise the Lord. Praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. From the rising of the sun to its going down, the Lord's name is to be praised. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. All right, we have our marching orders. Let's praise the Lord, and we'll begin with hymn number 570 in the hymnal, if you need it. That is, praise God from whom all blessings flow. And then we will be singing that psalm, Psalm 113a. One thirteen a Hallelujah, raise O oh raise to the Lord our song of praise. Father in heaven, we do want to acknowledge and glorify you and, and your revelation of yourself in your name, revelation of who you are and what you do. We thank you that we have a clear understanding of who you are through the word of God, that we are approaching the thrice holy, 
God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so we pray that you would enable us as your children, as those who are called out of darkness and into your marvelous light, as we stand in the light of Jesus Christ and the gospel. We pray, O Lord, the gospel would go forth to us again today, and that we would hear it, we would receive it, we would repent of our sins, we would trust in Christ alone for salvation, we would hear what Christ our Lord commands his children to do, to believe and do. We ask, O Lord, that you would equip us this day for your purposes, not only for today, but for this week and for the rest of our lives. We commit ourselves unto you. O Lord, be pleased. You are the audience. We are the performers. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. We have opportunity this morning to confess our sins with a responsive reading found in your bulletin. And that reading comes from Romans 3, chapter 11 through 20. I'll read the light type if you could respond in the dark. There is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may be become guilty before God. Let us pray. Father in heaven, in our pride we don't want to hear these words. I'm not that bad. And yet you say there's none righteous. No, not one. Well, the opposite of that is wicked. That all mankind are wicked before you. Are guilty. None of us understands you. None of us seeks you. We all turn away from you. We've become unprofitable. You've created us for your purposes and we have failed to serve you the way that you call us to. We've fallen far short. There's none good, no, not one. We hear those words and, and our flesh repels, recoils, Wars against the condemnation, the guilt that sin brings. Liability for punishment. We know that in ourselves, according to these words, lies no good thing. How is it that you even care about us? How is it that you have shown your love toward us? 
And that while we were sinners, you sent your son, and he came, and he died, he suffered all the time he lived on earth, but especially at the end of his life, he endured your wrath and curse that lie upon us. We deserved it. We deserve it. We deserve hell. We deserve eternal separation from you because we are separated from you in Adam, in our sin. How is it that you love us? That you did not allow us to stay in that state? We pray, O Lord, that you would enable us to hate our sin and turn from it always more and more. And grant unto us also the joy of knowing you, of being forgiven by you through the blood of Jesus Christ shed once for all for the remission of our sins. Enable us, O Lord, to understand and embrace the cross on which he died and to take up our cross, our cross, deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow him. And so we thank you, Lord, for your love displayed to us. We thank you also for sending your Spirit who works with us and in us and through us. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would sanctify us, that you would make us more like Jesus. We desire to see that work, even though it is painful at times, to understand and confront our sin. Grant us True repentance, we pray. We pray for those also who know you not. O Lord, have mercy on their souls. And enable us, as we rejoice in the forgiveness in Christ, to be able to share that with others. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Do you have a rock? Is Jesus your rock? Rock of ages, cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee. Let's go ahead and rise and sing and celebrate the forgiveness and the security and refuge we have in Jesus Christ. Uh, Hymn number 452, 452, let's stand and sing.
and take up that hymnal. Don't put it away yet. We have opportunity, in a sense, to confess the gospel. The gospel is a lot fuller than just Jesus died on the cross. Jesus, God became man and dwelt among us. Is that part of the gospel? If he didn't become man, would we have salvation? No. Jesus suffered before he died. Was that necessary? Yes. What happens if Jesus didn't rise from the dead? We'd be in big doo-doo, big trouble, right? How about him ascending into heaven? Is that important? Is he reigning in heaven right now over our lives? Is he Lord? Jesus is Lord. Now, not someday. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. We just sang that. Did you notice that? When he sits on the throne, where are you going to hide? Everybody's standing before him. I'm going to hide in Jesus, is what the, the author in that said. That's all of that is the gospel. It's not just the cross, although the cross is essential. But it's his life, his death. Well, what about the Father? What about this Holy Spirit? Is that also are they also included in the gospel? No. So in a sense, we're going to confess the Nicene Creed. It's the, uh, the church's attempt to try to summarize what we believe concerning the God of our salvation. And so, beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, what is it that you believe? I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before all worlds. God, God, light of light. Very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who, for us men, and for our salvation, came down from heaven, and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary, and was made man, and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried, and the third day he rose again, according to the scriptures, and ascended into heaven, and sits on the right hand of the Father, and he shall come again with glory to judge the living and the dead, whose kingdom shall have no end. And I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. And I believe in one holy Catholic in Apostolic Church. I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and I look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Again, reminder, when we say Catholic, we're not talking Roman. I actually had someone came to church 
a few weeks back, and, I, and, and we had read that, and they, when they heard the word Catholic, they immediately thought Roman Catholic. Is that what we confess we believe in the Roman Catholic Church? No. What does it say there? Oh, there's a footnote. Catholic means universal. That is, there is one church across all times, places, and peoples. Okay. So when we say Catholic, we're saying universal. The universal body of Christ. Okay. There's a difference. I'm Catholic. I'm not Roman anymore. I'm settled. I don't roam anymore. No, enough of that. All right, this morning, also in the bulletin, you will find a little half sheet. We've been working our way through the Canons of Dort, uh, one of the three forms of unity that our church holds as we try to say, well, what does the Bible teach? And uh, here is a summary. Uh, These were a a battle that was fought 400 years ago. Just like that Nicene Creed, there's a lot of battles that are summarized and um, because of that, uh, different errors. Here's some more errors. What about the perseverance of the saints? What, about, what happens? Um, I prefer to use the phrase, the perseverance of God for the saints. That's the point. It is God who perseveres. But the amazing thing is he does it through us. So we're working through the articles. We're to Article 7 and 8. So if I, I'll read Article 7, the light type. If you could please read Article 8, the, the dark type. Lord's Day 41, Article 7. Uh, For in the first place, in these falls, he preserves in them the incorruptible seed of regeneration from perishing or being totally lost. And again... By his word and spirit, he certainly and effectually renews them to repentance, to a sincere and godly sorrow for their sins, that they may seek and obtain remission in the blood of the mediator, may again experience the favor of a reconciled God, through faith adore his mercies, and henceforth more diligently work out their own salvation with fear and trembling. Thus, it is not in consequence of their own merits or strength, but of God's free mercy, that they neither totally fall from faith and grace, nor continue and perish finally in their backslidings, which, with respect to themselves, is not only possible, but would undoubtedly happen. But with respect to God, it is utterly impossible, since his counsel cannot be changed, nor his promise fail, neither can the call according to his purpose be revoked, nor the merit, intercession, and preservation of Christ be rendered ineffectual nor the sealing of the Holy Spirit be frustrated or obliterated. Okay, a lot there, isn't it? What is the point? The point is, is there was pastors in the Reformed Church of the Netherlands that wanted to teach something else. They wanted to teach that you can lose your salvation. It's all up to you. You are the one who saved yourself in a sense you believed. It was your faith that saved you. 
And you can lose that salvation. You have to maintain what you started. You have to persevere in order to be saved. What is their response? Did you notice in that response, where's the focus? Is it on you or is it on God? Was it on God throughout? Salvation is of you. Is that in the Bible? What does Jonah learn in the belly of the fish? Salvation is of the Lord. What did David learn in, when he was being chased by Absalom? Salvation is of the Lord. Do you believe it? Is your salvation not based on your merits, your works, or even your faith, but on Jesus Christ and him alone and the grace of God? Praise God for that. Praise God for that. Right? So he's talking about, well, how, how, what happens when we fall? What happens when, there's, there's a lot, we looked at last week, um, Articles 5 and 6, what are the things that happen when we sin? We offend God, we have a guilty conscience, we grieve the Holy Spirit. There's an interruption of our uh, exercise of faith. Uh, we lose, can lose a sense of God's favor. We can get pretty miserable. How great my sin and misery is. So he talks about in these falls. In the first place, in these falls, he preserves in them the incorruptible seed of regeneration from perishing or being totally lost. Okay? Again, we don't make ourselves born again. You understand that? It's not the work of man to call. Can you, can you make yourself born again? Can you, did you make yourself born? Did you determine to be born? Did you create yourself in the, your mother's womb? And be, no, Nicodemus was confused when Jesus said, you must be born again. But, and then Jesus said, oh, by the way, it's the work of the Holy Spirit that does the work. Right? If the Holy Spirit began a good work in you, is he going to fail? Is that in the Bible? Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, he has begun a good work in you, will, anybody? Complete it until the day of Christ. So if a person is regenerated by the Holy Spirit who applies the work of Christ once accomplished on the cross to his or her life, will the Holy Spirit fail? Is that what this is saying here? Yes. Notice further, and again, by his word and spirit, he certainly and effectually renews them to repentance. Okay, so what are we called to do? What are you called to do? What am I called to do daily? Repent. When was the last time you repented of your sins? Hopefully it was just a few minutes ago when we, we, we did the confession of sin, right? But is that a daily occurrence? Do you go before the Lord and confess your sin and turn from it and say, I hate that. I'm sorry. I offended you, Father. Please forgive me. Thank you, Lord, that you do through Jesus Christ. Do you repent? Is there a change of mind? Is there a change of thinking? So easy to get caught up in, your, in the world, thinking in the flesh. Do you stop and say, okay, I need my marching orders. I need my mind renewed. 
by the Spirit of God. By His Word and Spirit, He certainly and effectually renews them to repentance, to a sincere and godly sorrow for their sins. That's a good one. Are you, are, are, are you grieved by your sin? Do they bother you? Oh, I can sin. Uh, what did Martin Luther say? If you're going to sin, sin boldly. No, don't sin. It breaks your heart. It, does, does your sins break your heart? That you've, you've offended your Father in heaven. You've slapped him in the face. It bother you? Does it? Or let us sin that grace may abound. May it never be, Paul says. That they may seek and obtain remission in the blood of the mediator. Have you seen the cross today, brother? Have you seen the cross today, sister? Do you ever say that to yourself? I do. Do you? My wife does it to me. Do you? Remind yourself, I need the cross daily. I'm washed by the blood of the Lamb. May again experience the favor of a reconciled God. Through faith, adore his mercies, and henceforth more diligently work out their own salvation with fear and trembling. Wait a second. Work out their own salvation with fear and trembling? That sounds kind of heretical. What do, we, what do you mean? I thought we're saved by faith alone, and that not of ourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works as anyone should boast. And he, Paul, you got confused there. Where's that? Is that in the Bible? Yes. Where does it say that? Philippians, again, he's begun a good work in you, will also complete it. But he says also, work out what God is working in. That salvation that God is doing in your life, changing you, making you more like Jesus, that's what he's focusing on, your sanctification. He's begun a good work in you, and he will complete it. And so, Article 8, thus it is not in consequence of their own merits or strength but in God's free mercy. Isn't that great? My repentance is the work of God. Who gets the glory? God. Is that important? Always. Do I keep coming back to that same point seemingly almost every week? Why? Because I'm stuck or because it's important? Who gets the glory? God. Will there be anybody in heaven bragging about how spiritual they were or their faith or all their merits and accomplishments? What do you think? What do you think Paul's going to do? The apostle. What does he say in his letters? I'm the worst sinner that ever existed, but I'm saved by grace. God's free mercy. And again, the promise they will not totally fall from faith and grace, nor continue and perish finally in their backslidings, which, notice that, with respect to themselves is not only possible, but would undoubtedly happen. Ooh, that hurt. If it wasn't for the grace of God, I would perish everlastingly. How about you? There's, there's a song that I, I've heard, and uh, in it uh, the author says, my faith is like shifting sand. If I had to stand and be saved based on my shifting sand, 
sand faith, woe is me. Woe is me. But no, I'm saved by grace through faith, and that not of myself. But then on the other side, it says, undoubtedly happened, but with respect to God, it is utterly impossible since his counsels cannot be changed, his promise cannot fail, and his calling cannot be revoked, and what Jesus has done will not be rendered ineffectual, nor what the Holy Spirit is doing will be frustrated. We should all be shouting, Amen, yay! Right? We should be going out and saying to everyone, you need to hear this. I'm saved by grace. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Let's save the wretch like me. All right. I could go on, but uh, we do have a sermon to hear. Was that a sermon? All right. Let's go ahead and prepare for the opportunity to hear the Lord speak through the Apostle Paul in our text this morning, which is Ephesians chapter 3. I'm working there. Thank you. Yes, my helper. Um, but before we do that, let us go ahead and uh, turn to hymn number 238. Lord, with glowing heart, I'd praise thee. So 238. And is this a new tune or a tune we know? It, we know it. Okay, thank you.
Amen? Amen. Please be seated. You know that in the Psalms, it says in one place that God exalts his word above his very name. Do you understand how profound that is? The name is a revelation of a person, of who he is and what he does. And yet he says he exalts his word above that, about himself. That's an amazing thing. So guess what? We get to hear the word of God. Found in the letter to the Ephesians, chapter 3. So turn with me to chapter 3, verse 1. We'll be reading today verses 1 through 13. Let's see how far we get, though, as far as considering what we have. Hear now the word of God. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ for you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which was given to me for you. How that by revelation he made known to me the mystery, as I have briefly written already, by which when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel, of which I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power. To me who am least or less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Jesus Christ, to the intent that now, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through him, through faith in him. Therefore, I ask that you do not lose heart at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. The grass withers, the flower falls, but God's word abides forever. Amen? Thanks be to God. All right, well, let's go ahead. We need the, we need the, the blessing of God as we consider our text, and so let's pray. Father in heaven, again, we thank you that you have granted unto us through Jesus Christ boldness to come to you. And Father, we want to understand this portion of your holy word, that you through the Spirit guided Paul to write. And so we ask, O oh Lord, for the eyes to be able to be enlightened, to open our eyes, that we may see Jesus as he is proclaimed here, and your grace as it is proclaimed here. We pray, O oh Lord, that you would open not only our eyes but our hearts 
that we would not walk away from here and forget what we hear. But we pray, O Lord, that it would be effectively planted, effectively uh, fruitful. We desire for you to be glorified through the work of the Spirit in applying this. So open our hearts, O Lord. Plant that, that seed deep in our hearts. That on Monday morning when we rise, we remember that you have captured our hearts. We ask, O Lord, that you would also enable us to live it, to put it into practice. That others around us who know you not, who are facing a Christless eternity, that you may have mercy on their souls through us as your witnesses. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, I've got a lot of material here. I've been, uh, been thinking a lot about how, what I'm going to cover. And as, I, uh, as I've been thinking about it, I'm going, you know, I'm gonna, we're going to have a part two on this. I'm going to leave a lot of what I wanted to say this morning um, for next week. Um, but I, I want to focus in on that first verse there in chapter 3. I think it's important. For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for you Gentiles. So I want to focus on that. So I want to begin with the question, as I always do. I always usually, do I, do I ever start a sermon without a question? It's rare. Here's the question. Have you ever considered yourself captured or a captive? Have you? Weird, weird question, right? What are you talking about, Pastor? Have you ever considered yourself to be a captive? Were you born a captive? You were born in Adam. Who captured you? The devil. What does the scripture say? We were in the kingdom of darkness. The world lies under his reign. In his prison house. Captive. All mankind are captive. To Satan. Furthermore, are they captive? Were you captive to your own desires and flesh? Doing what you want to do. It's all about me. But yet Paul says that's bondage. I should be asking, what kind of captive were you or are you? Actually, are you right now? Oh, I'm free. I can do what I want when I want to do it. Oh, really? Walking within your prison. According to the Word of God, we are enemies of God in Adam. Under the domain of the adversary of our Lord Jesus Christ, that is Satan, and it says, taking captive to his will. That's a hard, hard thing to hear, isn't it? What do you mean? I'm, I'm not a cap. I'm, I'm not a prisoner. Oh, yes, you are. In Adam. Was Saul of Tarsus a prisoner of Satan? 
No, wait a second. Saul, the writer here, when he was the Pharisee of Pharisees, he was the guy that everybody looked to for the Bible knowledge. He was the one who had zeal for God. And I'm going to stamp out this heresy. I'm going to kill those Christians because they are teaching contrary to what I understand the Bible to teach. He said, I exceeded all my contemporaries in zeal for God. Well, was he a captive of error? Notice what he says in our text, just a little farther down. As he describes himself. I'm the least of all the saints. Verse 8. To me, who am less than the least of all the saints. How's that? Or a self-evaluation. Are you less than the least of the saints? Paul says he was. And he goes on in another place, say, I persecuted the church. The, the bride of Christ, I attacked the most precious thing that Jesus Christ has, and that is his church. I was killing his people. And Jesus Christ confronted me on the road, and what did he say? Saul, Saul. You're persecuting my people. Did he say that? Did Jesus say that to Saul? No, he didn't. What did he say? Saul, Saul, you are persecuting me. Jesus' heart is bound to his people. To attack God's people is to attack Jesus Christ. Is that what Jesus was saying to Saul? Are we the apple of his eye? What's the apple of, a, of the eye? It's your pupil. Can I walk up to you and stick my finger into your the pupil? Would you let me do that? Walk up to you and stick my finger in the pupil of your eye? No. What would your eye do? Your eye closes to try to protect it. Jesus says that we are the pupil of his eye. He's not going to let anybody poke you. And yet that was all. So what did God do? He was captured in the kingdom of darkness, and there on the road, guess what? The Lord Jesus Christ captured his heart. Redirected his life. As one writer writes, one of the greatest proofs of the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the change in the life of Paul. He was an enemy, promoted, planted the church. He's writing to those who the Lord used him to plant this church, and now he is a physical prisoner of Caesar, of the Roman Empire. He's writing this letter because he can't be there with them because he's in prison. And so he says in verse 1, For this reason I, the prisoner... Yes, he says, a prisoner of Jesus Christ, but physically he's, he's in prison. He's awaiting trial from Caesar. Life and death. But 
But more important to him, what does he say? I'm the prisoner of Jesus Christ. And for him, that was a badge of honor. Is it for you? Jesus is my Lord. He's my master. He's the one that determines what I eat, what I wear, what I own, what I do. Think about it. To be in prison, what is so bad about being in prison? Why is it that you want to avoid prison? And you do. What is it about prison? You don't have freedom. Who said that? Yes, you don't have freedom. Right? You can't do what you want to do when you you can't go where you want to go. Other people tell you what to do. Right? And also you're with all these other scarier people than you. Right? Murderers. Prison is not something good, is it? I've been uh, I visited Mule, uh, Mule Creek State Prison in California a few times. It's a pretty scary place, all the things you have to go through. And one time I was there, and as I'm sitting waiting for a prisoner to talk to him in this room with all these people, this one gal came in, sat down, the prisoner came in, they got up, they hugged, and he took something and slipped it into his boot that she gave him. And I wanted, there's guards that are sitting right there watching. I went up to the guard and said, yeah, what do I do? I saw somebody pass something to this prisoner. He said, shut up. Don't say anything. Go outside the prison and talk to them out there. Because they know how to get to you outside the prison. And I don't want to know because I don't want them coming after me. That was a guard. Scared the daylights out of me. I don't know about you. Right? I've been to the prison in Tijuana, Mexico. That was a really interesting experience. You go inside of that prison, and it seems like you're still part of the town. There's booths and food and everything else, but there's also some very dangerous people that are walking around. But the thing was, in both those places, they didn't have freedom. They were prisoners. But yet Paul says here, I am the prisoner of Jesus Christ for you Gentiles. He says, the reason I'm in prison is because I love you. My will has been thwarted. I can't do what I want to do. I can't go where I want to go. I want to be with you. I can't be there because I'm a prisoner. But more importantly, I'm a prisoner of Jesus Christ. So the main point in the, in the message, we're, we're going to at least hit the main point, try to cover the first one. In God's infinite wisdom, he intertwines the life and experiences of his messengers with the message that he has given them to communicate. We find an example of this in the life and ministry of the Apostle Paul. At the, uh, the same is true today. God is molding and shaping us, his church, to be effective instruments of grace. Here's the questions. Does your heart belong to him? Jesus captured the heart of Saul. Do you trust him? Jesus said to, to Paul, get up and go walking. You're blind. 
go to Damascus and wait. He did. Do you live for him and for his purposes? Would that be a good way to describe Paul? He lived for Christ. What Christ had called him to do, including the purpose of sitting in jail, being a prisoner, facing death many times. What about you? So again, this letter, what have we said? This is a letter of, anybody remember? Well, this is a letter of, say it, go ahead. Grace, good, excellent. This is a letter of grace. We've been looking at the grace of God from multiple different perspectives. The grace of God to the saints and faithful in Christ Jesus, that is the church. Chapter 1, we saw the blessings of God from eternity to eternity and prayer that the church that we would comprehend and apprehend and understand and rejoice in being called out from the world and called together in Christ. Now, chapter 1. Chapter 2, uh, he did a couple compare and contrast. You were once dead, now you're alive. That, can you think of anything more opposite? Dead, alive. Is there anything? That's as far out as you can go. You were once dead in trespasses and sin, but now you've been made alive in Christ. And then he, on chapter 11 last week, sorry, verse 11, chapter 2, he then said, well, let me look at it another way. You were aliens. You're alienated from the body of Christ. You're alienated. You're, you were outsiders. You were separated from God and his people. You were aliens. But now you're reconciled together in Christ. He's talking to Gentiles and Jews, but to Gentiles, you and I. Was Abraham a Gentile before he was a Jew? Isn't that a strange question? Was he a Gentile? Was he a pagan idol worshiper before the gospel came to him? The answer is yes. We like Adam. I mean, we like Adam, we like Abraham, apart from Christ, our Gentiles, are alienated from God, but he reconciles us together, together. So the first question, the first point in the message is, so do you know the hope of God's calling. Here we're talking about Paul's calling. Paul's calling, he says, is I'm a prisoner of Jesus Christ for you Gentiles. That sounds pretty, is that negative? I hope you're saying that, yeah, it is. It's, it's negative to be a prisoner. But he says, my honor, my privilege is to be identified with Jesus Christ and to be captured by him, and to be his prisoner. That's the greatest thing. I belong to Jesus. He owns me. He created me. He redeemed me. He's using me for his own glory. I'm fulfilling the purpose of reason why I'm here on earth. Why are you here? What does the world say? Why are you here? What do you, when you ask someone, what are you doing here? Why are you here? Well, I'm for me. Everything exists for me. Is that the natural man? In one way, shape, or form, that's what the answer is. Everything exists for me. 
The purpose of my existence is me. What does Paul say? The <laughs> purpose of your existence is God. He holds you together. He created you. He maintains you. He has a purpose for you. And that purpose is for your good and his glory. But he says it a negative thing viewed positively. And this isn't the only place where he talks about that. What, what does he say? Let's look at it again. For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of, the, of Christ Jesus, for you. Did Paul love these people? Is he in prison because of his love for these people? For, for the gospel that impact them and for them? He's writing a letter to them. Yeah. I'm a prisoner for you. You could go into 2 Corinthians. You want to see how, what kind of love Paul had? Or I should say, yes, I'll say the love Paul had, but it wasn't really Paul's love, was it? You know Paul's writing. He'll say, the love of Christ constrains me. Now, he doesn't say, my love for Christ constrains me. He says, Jesus' love constrains me to do what he wants. Is that your testimony? Do you understand how important that is? It's not that I love Jesus, but that Jesus loves me and loves through me. That's what matters. So that when I love you, and you are a porcupine, and I hug you, and I walk away, and there are quills sticking in me, it's not my love, it's his love. Did Jesus hug a porcupine? Did Jesus hug you and me? Did he embrace the cross in your place? While we were yet sinners, while we were the wicked ones, he loved us and gave himself for us. So Paul, looking at his situation, says, I glory in tribulation that Christ may be formed in me, that you may see Jesus. That's, a, that's not natural, is it? That sounds kind of crazy. Oh, I really enjoy, I really look forward to the next trial that I'm going to be going through because, is that, bring it on. No, we naturally say no, no, no. Over Him over here, not me. Right? Paul is saying, I glory in tribulation that Christ may be seen. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Do you pray that prayer and mean it? In other words, what we see here in Paul, that he has a heavenly perspective on earthly circumstances. What about you? Last week I went to California and my son David was ordained as a minister and I rented a car and we went and were staying with him. The next morning we get up. David walks outside the house. He said, Dad, you need to come see this. I walk outside, and there's a five-inch branch of a tree on the rental car. Damaged. I'm, I'm guessing it'll be $10,000 worth of damage. 
when they're all said and done. Educational experience, right? Tribulation, right? What's God going to do with that? I could have parked one car over and nothing would have happened to it. But God in his foreordination and determination decided that this tree is going to break, this branch is going to hit this brand new Honda, and now there's going to be interesting consequences or interactions, financial impacts maybe. Again, heavenly perspective on earthly circumstances. How about you? How do you, what kind of eyes do you have? When you look at the, the bad thing, can you see Christ working? You hurt your leg, you're a runner. We haven't had anybody hurt their leg in this congregation, have we? On a motorcycle or running or anything like that? I could show you mine, but that's okay. Yeah, things happen. Why? Because God is sovereign. We believe that, right? Why do bad things happen? Because God, oops, oh, I'm sorry, I wasn't watching. No. God works all things together for good, for them that love the Lord and called according to his purpose. I don't understand how this is going to work for my good and your glory, Lord, but okay, bring it on. That's, that's not an easy thing to say, Right? But yet, Paul is saying what? I'm a prisoner of the Lord Jesus. And notice what he says, though. He's continuing the glory. Verse 2, I will jump into a little bit more. If indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which was given to me for you. I have been called to be a manager, a steward of the mystery of Christ. That dispensation. And he goes on to say, how that by revelation he has made to, known to me the mystery as I have briefly written already. Whoa, whoa, briefly written. What's he talking about? Chapters 1 and especially chapter 2. He's just been talking about it. You Gentiles were alien. Now you're reconciled. That was a mystery. That was something hidden. And now... We assume it. Anybody here a Jew? Anybody ethnically a Jew in this congregation? Yeah. No? We're all Gentiles? This, is, this would have shocked people at this time in the Jewish community. The Gentiles are coming to faith in Christ. They're being saved. They're part of the body of Christ. They're part of the covenant people of God. Wow. It's a mystery. That was once hidden, it's now revealed. It's in the Old Testament, but it's kind of shadowy there. You have to really know, you have to look at it from the New Testament perspective to see it. He says, I'm a manager, I'm a steward. I've been entrusted with the care of the gospel of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, to the church, by revelation. I'm a minister of grace. And he says, by grace and God's power. And so, we're going to wrap it up here. What is your identity? Oh, so here's a question. What is your identity? 
Who are you a captive to? And I hope that offends you. Who are you a captive to? Well, yeah, I'm a, I'm a captive to no one. I hope you were listening. Everyone's captive to someone. In Adam, we're all captive to Satan. The kingdom of darkness, the rule of darkness, principalities and powers. We don't see them. But boy, look at what's happening in Israel right now. What's going on there? 500 Israelis died. I don't know how many other Palestinians have died. There's a war going, another war. Did God just turn his back for a minute? Oops, oh, oh no. No. Is there a war that's greater than that war going on for your soul? Is there forces you can't see that desire your destruction? In Adam, you're in that camp. If you're not trusting in Christ, you're in that camp. That's a frightening thing to say. That's what Paul is saying. You're a prisoner of Satan. He's a prisoner of, the, of darkness. Is that your, who you are? Or, here's the question, are you trusting in Christ alone for salvation? Do you see your sin? Do you hate your sin? Do you turn from it? Is your identity, I belong to Jesus? That's my question. That's what the catechism says, right? What is your only comfort in life and in death? That I belong to Jesus. That's the only comfort that works. That's the only comfort that we have. And if so, how does your life reflect that? How does it affect it? And how does it reflect it? Or another way of saying, are your eyes focused on yourself or on Christ? There's a good way to summarize this. Where are your eyes? Is it on Christ or the world, the flesh, or the devil? That's the choice. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we do thank you that you reign. We confessed earlier, I believe in God the Father, almighty maker of heaven and earth. Not only are you the maker, you sustain it, and through your Son, you redeem it. Uh, and through your Spirit, you're applying it to us. And so we thank you, O Lord, that we, like Saul, were a prisoner. And apart from Christ, we are still prisoners of darkness. O Lord, have mercy on those that we know that are in the kingdom of darkness. Have mercy on their soul and enable us as those who have, been, have received the light of Christ, to shine forth that in our lives. And we also pray, O oh Father, that you would strengthen and equip us, that we would have our eyes fixed upon Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who with, with, uh, with the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising this shame, and has sat down at your right hand. We thank you, O oh Lord Jesus, for conquering the devil the world, the flesh, our sin, our self, that you are Lord. We pray, O oh Lord, that you would, your Lordship would be more reflected in our lives, that when others see us, they see you. We ask that you would do that work in us. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for inspiring and guiding Paul to write these things, and we pray that you'd also work in us, that, this, that we would become, as Paul said, living letters seen and read of men that people would read of Jesus Christ and the gospel through our lives. Give us, uh, grant unto us that constraining love of Christ 
to love those who are facing a Christless eternity. We pray, O Lord, that you would enable us to walk worthy of the calling where we are called in all humility and lowliness of mind. We pray, O Lord, that you would help us to endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. We pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. Let us respond to God's word by giving back to him a portion of what he has given to you, that is uh, the management of his resources. Uh, These are tithes and offerings, acknowledging that Jesus is Lord and all that he has is his, and we joyfully give back a portion. No, 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 no sound there. so tempted to say, no splash, Captain. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do thank you. Thank you for the ability to give to you, give back a way of saying thank you. There's many ways for us to be able to do so, and this is one of them. So we thank you, O Lord, for providing for us our daily bread. We thank you, O Lord, for reconciling us not only to yourself, but to one another. We are the family of God. We are the body of Christ. We are the church. We're that that temple that Paul wrote wrote in chapter 2 that is growing, a growing, living temple, organism, the body of Christ. We thank you. We thank you, O Lord, that you uh, have delivered us from temptation and the devil, and we pray that you continue to do so. For we are at war There is a war that's going on around us. We can't see it, but it's there. And so, we, Lord, we pray for deliverance and victory. We also uh, come before you with our needs, our purpose, our our particular needs. Uh, Many are there in the in the bulletin. Uh, For needs for health, needs for healing. We we pray um, for the Sims family as sickness is going through that family today. We ask, O Lord, for mercy for them and others that are battling long-standing sickness or weakness as we uh, age, um, as we see the decline of the health of our bodies. O Lord, have mercy on our our bodies and especially our souls. We pray for those uh, that we are, are mentioned here in the bulletin, people that are battling against cancer, people that are struggling with family difficulties, people that are struggling with disease and injury, we do pray, O Lord, that you would intervene. We do pray for uh, Lisa and for Morgan as they travel uh, back from uh, a wedding in um, another state and others that are traveling. We pray, O Lord, for your kingdom purposes to be expanded. We thank you, Lord, for this conference on missions and evangelism that just occurred. We pray for the delegates that they wouldn't forget what they learned but they would put it into practice, that your church would be equipped 
to be a light and a witness throughout the world. We pray, O oh Lord, for uh, the churches in the RCUS that are without pastors. O oh Lord, raise up men after your own heart. Again, we pray this and we continue to pray, and we've seen your answer uh, in some of the churches. We see, uh, we're going to celebrate this Friday the installation of uh, Reverend Kevin Pulliam in Minot. We thank you, Lord, for answering our prayers that we've been praying for Minot for many years. Uh, seems like many years. We do pray, thank you, Lord, for raising up uh, a pastor for Willows, California. Um, and you, we pray for David and Rachel as they uh, settle into that uh, community. Grant them uh, grace and strength as they um, get to know their neighbors and, and also the body there. We pray for the other, other churches that are without pastors. We look forward to seeing how you're going to answer those prayers. We think of Matthew Dawn as he is um, serving there in um, Garner, Iowa, and needs to be examined for licensure and exam, we pray for, uh, pray for him, that you would provide him, give him wisdom beyond his age, and bless that church. We also lift up to you the mission works, and we thank you, Lord, for this pastor from South Africa who came to Manhattan, to um, um, Manhattan, Montana, and we pray, we don't know the results of, of that, whether he was voted to be called to be pastor or not. Uh, and we leave that in your hands, and uh, we pray, O oh Lord, that you would provide for our, our brethren, especially our, our dear sister, Ginger, there in Manhattan, uh, that you would provide a pastor for that flock. We also lift up to you our brothers and sisters there in Weezer, Idaho, that are coming to us asking for help and oversight uh, as they desire to see an RCUS church planted there in, uh, in Weezer, Idaho. And we pray especially, we thank you, Lord, for the, the, the uh, Derek and Hannah and the three kids as we received them last week as members here. And as we are now meeting with, or will be meeting with uh, Lyle and Sydney and his, their children, as well as uh, Ori and his wife and children, uh, as they also are transferring, desire to transfer their membership uh, to that work and to us. And so we pray for wisdom for the oversight thereof, for the whole missions committee of classes as they also take up this work. Uh, we thank you, Lord, for the prayers you have answered concerning this work, and we pray especially for Derek as the elder on site there. We pray for wisdom and humility and grace. Uh, we do lift up to you, O oh Lord, this, uh, this uh, report of death and war that's coming out of Israel, 500 or so, 600, some report on one side, and we don't know how many on the other. Oh, Lord, have mercy on their souls. Oh, Lord, bring peace, we ask. We lift up to you also the wars that are occurring in Ukraine, and again, we ask for peace, protection, and the gospel to go forth. For in those times of war, it's like the plowing, oh, plant the seed and water the seed of the gospel into lives that know you not. Oh, Lord, in judgment, remember mercy. We pray these things now, praying the prayer that you taught your disciples to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors, 
And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. All right. Let us uh, lift our voices one more time in thanksgiving for the grace of God in Christ. Uh, Hymn number 517. I know not why God's wondrous grace to me he has made known. 517. I know not why God's wondrous grace to me he has made known. in love redeemed me for his own but I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day I know not how this saving faith to me he did impart, nor how believing in his works brought peace within my heart. But I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. I know not how the Spirit moves, convincing men of sin, revealing Jesus through the desire to receive the blessing but he still wanted it right and he cried because he didn't get it now here's the question do you desire to receive the blessing of God I hope so you should so well here it is anyways receive now God's blessing and benediction but you beloved 
building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto everlasting life. And on some have compassion, making a distinction, but others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to preserve you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. Amen. Amen.